there's always going to be a concern that people are going to get lost. Currently, we're at the stage where people are just trying to outdo each other and how long they can spend in VR for, for any length of time. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if their actions in VR can somehow have repercussions in the real world um, in a positive way, then, you know, if they, if they stay in VR, um, I don't see that as a problem. But, you know, if they are just teenagers playing a virtual war that's actually controlling robots on the battlefield in the real world, then that's obviously not a great thing. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Three, two, one, let the games begin. Today, we're diving deep into gaming, virtual reality, Ready Player One, and much, much more. The future of all of us. We've got Sam Watts on the program. Sam's one of the foremost thinkers on VR, and he's the director of Immersive Technologies at Make Real, a company that believes immersive digital products are transforming the way we work, play, and learn. They're one of the leaders when it comes to virtual reality and augmented reality experiences, and this is a really fun conversation. Sam's got over 20 years of experience in software and game development, and now he spends most of his days thinking about creating epic, immersive experiences. Today we're going to discuss how psychedelics started the VR movement, why dystopian VR is unlikely in Sam's opinion, what areas are advancing rapidly and causing VR's progress, the reason a single company probably won't own the virtual reality market, why immersive experiences change the equation for the entertainment of the future, the problem with consumer VR today and what needs to change to spur adoption, and how to think about the chicken and egg problem of content and cost when it comes to VR. Now without further ado, I give you Sam Watts. You probably know I'm big on biohacking and trying to make myself the best I can be. That's why I'm excited about what the guys at Neurohacker Collective and Daniel Schmachtenberger, who was previously on the podcast, are doing. They're some of the smartest biohackers on the planet, and their Qualia line of brain-enhancing nootropics make it obvious why. You guys can get 15% off any order, or with a subscription, 50% off and 15% off every future order by going to disruptors.fm slash qualia, that's Q-U-A-L-I-A, and using coupon code disruptors at disruptors we're big on health and biotech for a reason it amplifies everything disruptors.fm slash qualia use coupon code disruptors and now let's get on with the program we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things not because they are easy but because they are hard so sam you're one of the leading guys when it comes to vr and that's what i want to jump into initially but first what got you here are you a nerd what's the story uh well i'm a nerd a geek uh, everything above but um you know i've been interested in computers since a small child oh many decades ago these youthful youthful good looks uh, uh belie my my true age but um uh, it was like in the early 90s there was a center in london called trocadero center and they had some of the very early virtuality arcade vr arcade machines and getting to try those out as a young child sort of gave me that taste of the future of the possibility of what what will be uh and then at university we um studied uh, cave environments and created content for those and then i got the idea but 
you know, the shuttered glasses and the projection screens, I got a lot of uh, uh, headaches from working with those. But then, you know, five years ago when the Kickstarter, the DK1, uh, became available and it became cheap, then that was the true uh, sort of calling really to actually go out, go on a journey of discovery and determine exactly how this technology could work and benefit. So I want to clarify something, the caves, what do you mean by that? Uh, It's the multi-channel, multi-sided projection boxes, basically. You you stand in the middle of them. Like a mini Um, IMAX? Like a like a mini what? A mini, a mini a mini IMAX theater? Um, sort of, but um, uh, what are they? Oh, I can't remember what it stands for. Um, probably like computer augmented virtual environment or something like that. But they're five sided. You project onto each side, uh, and then you have a um a PC that does all the morphing and blending between all the different walls. So you actually have like a projected environment, computer environment around you, uh, and it's good for. Uh, there, there's, there's a couple of systems nowadays, like Igloo Vision. Uh, they have a big 360-degree version, uh, and it's it's a way of being sort of first stage immersed with multiple people uh, without having to wear a headset. We've come a long way. Initially, initially VR was mainly the Silicon Valley guys that wanted the digital psychedelics, more or less, right? Yeah, Bad and sci-fi authors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think a lot of us grew up reading the sci-fi dystopian, you know, uh, cyberpunk future of virtual reality and uh, whilst you know those experiences are you know great and have their place i very much like to see technology benefiting people and driving us forward and providing positive experiences rather than enslaving us yeah the nature of dystopia is it sucks which of those were most transformational for you or most impactful well obviously books like you know snow crash and necronomic uh, uh, necromancer but then you know the sort of non-direct ones as well like young ladies illustrated primer or diamond age as it's also known a lot of the uh, sort of 90 sci-fi that led up to films like you know matrix and existence and uh, other great you know vr film tropes really what would you say is the most realistic given where we're headed based off your opinions obviously well i like to think they're all still based in sci-fi and you know where we're headed is still very much unknown uh, and you know through inclusion and, and diversity we can create a whole load of content that's suitable for everyone as opposed to just you know white silicon valley boys and hopefully we pull that off we don't want another <laughs> yeah facebook situation where are we at speaking of facebook where are we at these days in terms of vr get us up to speed on those last two decades or so last two decades wow okay so in the 90s uh, was the last sort of commercial attempts and that didn't really work a lot of the hardware was kind of there but a lot of the actual computing processing power to to create the uh, 3d graphics um, at a level that were believable or comfortable or actually worthwhile using were you know just wasn't there yet but nasa the military they carried on driving away and uh, working on on their own versions of uh, lowercase and uppercase uh, of virtual reality sort of headsets and virtual environments and multi-channel projection systems uh, full flight simulators that kind of thing and then um, uh, if you have you know you have to take into consideration like the original iphone uh, eye phone uh, from vpl with jaron lanier a lot of what that did back in the 90s you know we still haven't actually matched that today but just everything that's available today is a lot cheaper to create and um, a lot more powerful uh, with a lot lower latency and higher screen resolutions but that that sort of idea of the haptic input glove there's a lot of people trying to replicate that and trying to get there with both hands but we're still stuck in this prototype stage of 
terrifying exoskeleton systems and lots and lots of cables. But, um, you know, the, the past sort of 10 years are the most interesting because uh, that's when computers got powerful enough to create realistic 3D renders and super high frame rates. Uh, and the screen technology was cheap enough, but also gave us the, the super high screen resolutions. We're still not there. Um, you know, it, we have like the Vive Pro and we have 2.5 or, or uh, um, some in, in very low number 5 and 8K uh, screens. But, you know, we're looking at 10, 12K screens uh, Screen, screen resolutions to sort of be able to project a system that gives you that more sort of natural uh, visual clarity without being able to see in between the pixels. And for an analogy, it's like if you wear contacts and you have one lens in and one out or the numbers just aren't quite right, you start to get dizzy when things don't quite map to reality. What, what do we need in terms, of, in terms of pixel density, in terms of like a 12K, a 4K, etc., to be at parity with what real life is? Well, I guess um, the closest analogy, and it, it, it's called the screen door effect, is it's not actually something we have here here in the UK, really, but like in America and, and other hotter countries, you know, where you actually have a, a fine mesh uh, in a door frame to keep bugs and stuff out. It's like looking through that, so you can actually see the lines of the mesh distorting your vision or blocking out, you know, fine parts of your vision. But um, in terms of pixel densities, I'm not a, um, a, a technical person, but we're looking at like sort of probably, I don't know, a thousand sort of pixel density rather than where we're at currently, which is around sort of two, three hundred. So still a little ways to go, but not that far off. You, you no, know, I mean, the, the, the technology is advancing quickly. And if we look at, see, see what's happening with TVs, with uh, OEM, LED and uh, 8K screens coming to TVs, you know, that kind of technology will trickle down. It will get smaller and smaller and cheaper to reproduce on a screen big enough to uh, give you that sort of field of view. Big enough and also light enough. If your head's a little heavy, it gets tough. Yeah, I mean, some of the headsets at the moment, there's like super field of view headsets like the Pimax and uh, the Star VR. Um, they give you sort of like things like about 270 degrees, but they have this sort of massive triangle in the front of your face. And I've not tried one, but they look incredibly heavy in comparison. Is the future just cloud-based compute and then some type of glasses? Or uh, I think ideally, lenses? yeah. I mean, uh, we all look to 5G, I don't know, 6, 7, 8G, whatever. But um, 5G is the sort of immediate standard that, that, that's going to turn around and allow us to uh, uh, you know, rapidly download and stream applications over the network rather than having to install everything locally on hard drives and deal with the, with, with the display technology. We can just stream it over the cloud straight to the device rather than having to take all this extra processing power and uh, uh, weight to, to cope with that. It's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. You need the hardware small enough and cheap enough, yet you also need the content. Which side is a bigger driver, do you think? Well, I mean, I see it, there's like a whole range of technologies. I see it like a pan of milk that you're, you know, slowly simmering away. And it's like all of these technologies slowly bubble up together until it just reaches that temperature where the whole lot just, you know, explodes and goes mainstream. But yeah, there's all these technology drivers, but there's also the questionable, you know, content is king. Uh, and, you know, everybody needs to have a reason to get into virtual reality to buy the hardware. But there's a lot of talk, you know, if you look at traditional console sales or uh, uh, other devices, you know, they talk about a killer app. I wouldn't necessarily say or agree that there has to be a killer app that will drive VR because it's a new medium. It's not a, you know, it's not a peripheral. It's not just a display technology. 
the way that content is created and, and the range of experiences and use cases available, it's so personal. It's like watching TV. Um, you know, there wasn't one, you know, the, big, the switch to color was a big driver for TV. But, you know, these days, if you look at what makes TV popular, everyone has different tastes, there's different genres. People like, you know, soap operas or they like the news or whatever, um, the sports, etc. There's just like all these different content types uh, and there just has to be enough of them to give people that that much choice to, to have a reason to sort of put the headset on. It's like, okay, I can watch the football or I can watch the, the NASCAR or I can watch the, the latest 360 news bulletin from the Weather Channel with the mixed reality sort of hurricane warnings. Or I can play a game or I can do some training. I can better myself. I can do some education. But then the chicken and the egg is the money and the funding to create that content when the market size isn't big enough to to support it currently. Yeah, that's uh, you got to jump the, the hurdle, so to speak. I think about it like the entertainment escape velocity, the experience escape velocity. It's like with Netflix. Once there's enough content on there and enough created consistently that you can't finish up the content, that's when the takeoff really happens. I, I imagine yeah. VR will be similar. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's already a lot of content for VR. Um, if you look at the main platforms, if you look at like the Oculus Store, uh, the Steam Store, and the PlayStation VR store. Uh, you know, PlayStation has over 200 titles. Uh, Steam uh, theoretically has well over 2,000 applications that support uh, virtual reality, whether it be the Vive or the Oculus or the Windows Mixed Reality. The Oculus store, uh, I think they're up to like four or 500 titles at least now. And there's plenty of choice on there, but you know, there's a lot of very similar content. There's a lot of shooters and there's a lot of sort of low hanging fruit type experiences, or there's a lot of experiences that aren't, you know, they're very much cable TV as opposed to prime time levels in terms of polish and budget. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, but then there's other channels, you know, through Jaunt or through YouTube, you can download loads and loads of 360 degree content, which is you know slowly becoming like a Netflix uh, in VR. It is, but it has to be that much better than the YouTube experience to make it worthwhile. Yeah, and then we get back to the bandwidth situation where combined with the high resolution display, combined with, you know, higher resolution 360 video or 180 degree video, because, you know, people think 4K TV looks great. 4K 360 video doesn't uh, because it's, you know, 4K all the way around. Uh, so it needs to be considerably higher to get that level of fidelity of what people are used to. And similarly with the, the 3D generated experiences, if you're, unless you have like the latest kick-ass, you know, high-end gaming PC, most of the, the graphics are, you know, mobile quality or PlayStation 3 quality. And if you look at a lot of the gamers, you know, they're all about the shiny and the latest best looking graphics and games and everything else. But that's because they're used to just seeing it on a 2D pancake screen, not really taking into consideration the amount of processing that has to be done for, for, for VR and both eyes and the depth and everything else. Could you reduce it over time? I feel like if you ever go to someone's house and they have that fancy TV, you notice right when you start watching, but as the show progresses, you don't notice it. It's the exact same as any other Pixel TV. You're just plugged in and you're in flow. But I imagine you could reduce over time throughout an experience, reduce the bandwidth, and then just reset at the top uh, for the next one. Well, um, I guess the, the, the kind of equivalent would be the foveated rendering, where we'll be able to just render where people are looking at super high detail, and then all the rest will be low detail and then quickly switching to the high detail depending upon where they move and where they look. I think, um, yeah, I mean, you would like to think people get so lost in the experience they don't necessarily notice that the, the actual quality is degraded, but then you need to be able to 
compensate for the fact that they could stop and just look around at any time. But then that's the other problem as well. When you're when you're in the world, like the real world, you soon you want to be able to pick everything up. And every time you can't pick something up when you expect to, then you break that connection and you break that that sense of presence. Uh, so it's you know four times the amount of work having to ensure that everything is interactable, but at the same time four times the amount of modelling because I can't model something over there in low detail because if the player goes over there they can pick something up and pull it right up close and if it's in low detail then it's going to look terrible. Do VR researchers work with sleep researchers? I imagine if you could pull some of the similar concepts from dreaming. When you're dreaming you don't necessarily notice that the textures are off, but if you look you see the clock's not moving you realize you're dreaming. Yeah, there are. Um, there have been some studies because uh, uh, early studies show that the, the effects of VR are similar to lucid dreaming. And there have been some studies about how lucid dreaming and VR experiences are tied together and how they can uh, enable more lucid dreaming. I think it, oh, I can't actually remember the name of the researcher who published the paper, but it was a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, it was a fascinating study. Are you worried at all about what happens as VR starts to become more prevalent in society? Maybe it's a better option for people to pop in there versus live a life? Uh, I mean, you know, we get back to the sort of dystopian cyberpunk theory of, you know, people spending all their time in virtual reality rather than real reality and stop, you know, they stop caring about what happens in the real world because this virtual world is so much nicer or more fun or allows them to, to, to live out their, their their fantasies of what they've always wanted to be able to do. I think, you know, like all all mediums, all pastimes, uh, there's always going to be people who will be, you know, keen to take it to take it to you know to the limit and spend too much time. But if people have an addictive personality, there's nothing to say they're going to get more addicted to VR than they would do TV or reading or drinking or whatever. It's more immersive, though. I mean, people are addicted to Facebook, and Facebook sucks. Yeah, yeah. But then that's just that, I don't know, something about the, the feedback cycle of just scrolling to see what's next. Uh, but um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a concern that people are going to get lost. Currently, we're at the stage where people are just trying to outdo each other and how long they can spend in VR for, for any length time but um yeah i don't know i mean if if their actions in vr can somehow have repercussions in the real world um in a positive way then you know if they if they stay in vr um i don't see that as a problem but you know if they are just teenagers playing a virtual war that's actually controlling robots on the battlefield in the real world then that's obviously not a great thing what about homeless people you want to get off the street well i'd rather put them through more of a sort of education and a beneficiary program rather than just sticking them in vr what if it's Uh, cheaper what if it's cheaper though i'm just playing devil's advocate a little um i don't know i mean there's plenty of um there's plenty of alternative ways to deal with homeless other than sticking them in vr um which are cheaper i'm sure in terms of how you would ensure that they are uh, nourished and maintained uh, whilst they're in VR. If you're going to build a room full of VR to put homeless in, just build a room with a load of beds and a kitchen or something. How do you how do you think about regulation going forward and any type of code of ethics we should create? We've seen what can happen with social media companies and surveillance capitalism when it's unchecked. And when you're quite literally experiencing everything someone's experiencing, you can control them, you can fill their life with ads, you can, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be like a series of opt-in systems now, but then... Uh, if you look at how you know net neutrality is being stripped away currently, then you know it, it's a very dangerous precedent. But then also, if you look at the generations who've grown up with social media and have grown up with uh, the norms of oversharing, these are issues that already exist, and uh, I don't think it's going to get any worse or any better. But 
there's a real sense of presence when you're with other people in in VR and harassment uh, online harassment you know there's many there are mechanics to put in place to reduce social VR harassment uh, that are easier to enforce than people just commenting uh, uh, randomly on uh, websites or, or you know t- uh, Twitter trolls etc. I like that you bring up presence. Do you think VR can be a bit like modern meditation and get people into a better state of being because they can't be distracted by things? They're suddenly immersed in something they can't escape. Yeah, I mean, there's a few meditation apps already, and there's a couple of companies based purely around the transcendental uh, side of virtual reality rather than the training or, or the gaming side. And and like you say, because you are uh, contained within specifically that environment without distraction, then logically it should be easier to, to reach that meditative state. Uh, I think you know the major drawback at the moment is it's quite hard to forget that you've got the, uh, the actual headset on. And for me, you know, I can't go more than a couple of hours until I've got to take a break and I've got to take it off and uh, mop my face and uh, get some fresh air. But as they get smaller devices, lighter, streaming without all the hardware and, you know, screens get lighter. I mean, you know, Samsung un- unveiled their, their foldable phone today. It looks pretty terrible. And it's a massive brick. But, you know, this is this is the DK1. This is the, 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 the Apple One uh, of the iPhone that nobody even knew about or really, you know, cared about. And it was, you know, what, the 3GS version of uh, the iPhone when it actually started going, you know, uh, interstellar. So smaller, foldable, uh, more lightweight screens are coming. And just being able to, I wear glasses anyway. So for me, wearing a pair of glasses and having everything augmented or virtualized over the top won't distract from my ability to meditate or uh, get into the experience. How do you think about the future of mixed reality and computing? Will it be cell phones? Will it be glasses? Will it be VR? Or will it be something else entirely? It'll probably be a device that can flip between the states between VR and AR, and once the sensors, once the optics, uh, once the uh, projection systems reach a level that everything can be lightweight enough and uh, combined into a single unit. You know, people don't want to, they don't have different phones for different devices or or different purposes. They have one phone that does everything. So if I just, I want a pair of glasses that are my prescription that I can flip between AR and VR. But, you know, we're five, ten plus years out from that. But uh, uh, ultimately, you need to have the ability to come back to the real world so you don't end up walking off a cliff. Exactly. What do you think <laughs> about what do you think about Magic Leap and what they're doing? I'm I'm interested, and uh, it kind of sucks because being in the UK, they don't ship over here yet. Uh, so we are looking at ways of getting devices here. I think they are always going to be in a difficult position with the amount of hype, the amount, the amount of secrecy, and the amount of unknowns. Uh, there was a lot of obvious wild speculation around uh, what the device was and what they were doing and how the technology works. So I think they were probably pressured into having to release the Magic Leap One. And for, you know, initial reports of what it currently does is, you know, it's not much more of an upgrade or difference to HoloLens, like HoloLens 1.5 kind of thing. But, you know, prototypes, dev kits, whatever they have in their labs, whatever it is that people have seen that has caused them to invest so much money, there's got to be something there. Um, and I think, again, we're at that first that first device, that version 1.0, 
the next device will be the one that will really be telling that will show what their what what their technology is actually truly capable of so you're not that impressed yet well i've not tried it so but from what i've read in the videos i've seen i'm not sure the computational power of the little hit pack and um the slightly wider field of view than hololens albeit with you know a gradient blur on the edge to sort of hide the hard edge of where the field of view ends i think a lot of the technology with the eye tracking and the hand tracking that it can do a lot of that hasn't been fully integrated into the apps yet so i think you know give it six months give more developers time to embed on their sdks and their tool sets then we'll start to see some much more impressive transformative uh, applications for it but um, until we've actually developed something and I've tried it, um, I can only really go by sort of secondhand uh, feedback, really. When do you think we get to a quarter of the population that has some type of headset, a quarter of the first world population? Well, um, we're probably a couple of years out, I think. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, a lot of it is probably going to come down to when Apple release an AR device, when, you know, predictions suggest... Was it 2021, something like that? They've been buying enough companies. They're obviously working on something. There's a lot of, you know, it will be the usual case. Uh, everyone else will do the hard work and the leg work and release a load of devices that won't be quite good enough. And then they'll just take all of that, polish it, and release something for three times the amount of money. But, you know, it'll be the one that actually sells. And it'll have four years ago specs, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, it'll probably still sell in, in large numbers. But um, I think ultimately, you know, we're still we're still arguing amongst ourselves within the community of what does VR mean? What does AR mean? Uh, is it XR? Uh, some people are trying to call it ER. What actually is mixed reality? And until we can settle on a set of like norms, then, you know, how do we expect the, uh, the sort of general populace and uh, devices to go mainstream? How do you define VR? I know you said capital and lowercase. So when I say lowercase, I mean the old school sort of multi-projection systems where yeah. you're not wearing a headset. So you're looking at a 3D virtual environment, but you're still aware of the rest of the room. But the screen is big enough that if you stand close enough, it kind of works with a wraparound sensation. Uppercase, I very much is headset based where you are, you know, shuttered into the environment. And, uh, you know, yeah, the VR is very much... Um, you are, from a point of view, able to interact within that world. You know, you're in the middle of the forest as opposed to on the outside looking in. What was the best experience you've had so far, the one that blew your mind most? Oh, um, I mean, in the early day, well, early days, when the DK1 first came out, I was so excited and we got our dev kits and the only thing available was the, uh, the, the Tuscany demo. But um, that made me super sick because it was only three degrees of freedom and use a joypad to move around. I was so disappointed because I felt sick for about six hours afterwards. But, you know, that was the one that was like, oh, my God, this is actually, it's here, it works. And despite the nausea, you know, it's fantastic. I've always been a massive fan of Res. So getting Res on PlayStation VR and being able to wear that, play that in VR as it was designed with a haptic audio vest, you know, making my whole body throb to the beat of the of the techno was, you know, really transformative and transcendental. But every day, you know, there's there's hundreds of new experiences being being released and simple things like, well, I say simple, but, you know, Google Earth VR, just being able to fly anywhere in the world and see it all rendered in 3D uh, sort of photogrammetry style. And just, you know, I, last year I got married and we spent two weeks going around around Italy. And I use Google Earth VR because you can drag the, the, the time of the sun around to change the time of day in the shadows. I would look up the hotels that I wanted to stay in or maybe stay in and then angled myself as if I was on the balcony to work out which ones had the best views of the sunsets and the sunrise. That is so nerdy. <laughs> 
but you know, <laughs> I've got loads of really nice sunsets and sunrise pictures. So. Touche, touche. What technologies outside of VR are you most excited about? Outside of VR, um, not a lot to be honest. Um, I'm mostly so focused on sort of immersive technologies. I think a lot of it has to be, you know, uh, the five G side of things, and just having, you know, always having faster and faster bandwidth, uh, and allowing us to stream more and more higher quality content. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I enjoy using my drone, but then the technology for that is probably going to get to a certain uh, cap and probably not go much further. Is it, uh, is it sixty AI who've got the drone that? F- follows you around um, with all the uh, object uh, avoidance. Uh, I can't remember. But um, yeah, I, I'm so, I, I have to spend so much time on VR and AR for work that, um, and I don't drive. Uh, so electric cars or self-driving cars. I mean, uh, a self-driving car would be great because it means I don't actually have to bother getting a license, I guess. How do you stay up to date with everything that's happening? Um, I spend a lot of time online in my breaks at work, not when I'm not working. But um, I go to as many meetups and networking events as I can in the UK. I mean, we're certainly limited in numbers uh, compared to, uh, you know, Silicon Valley. And you get to see or start seeing a lot of the same people at the same events or, you know, sort of different kind of events, but still the same people. But um, it's just keeping my ear to the ground. And I have a very good list of sort of strong uh, Twitter people who I follow who share a lot of the news um, and what they're up to kind of being a veteran uh, uh, having done sort of the past five years and our company's done 12 years of immersive tech we've kind of been there from day one so it's it's a fairly small pool of people who were excited and actually actively developing for vr five years ago and then how they've all sort of spread out and branched out and which companies they've ended up if they've gone to companies or if they've remained independent they're still experimenting and just sharing their their new ideas and their new experiences and then of course there's just you know the the online news uh, sites so road to vr um upload uh, vr scout and um hopefully still in some shape or form vr focus so what was i saying uh news sources where i stay up to date yeah a lot of it is from meetups locally in the area or typically you know we're based in brighton which is on the south coast of england um and it's about an hour by train to get up to london where the majority of the sort of uk technology sector is or bristol or manchester um generally places where the bbc have uh, studios of some shape or form but because it is a small industry anyway and uh, we're a small country with with, with a lot lower population then uh, you get to see a lot of the same people at the same events and it, it's you kind of have to pace yourself otherwise nothing really seems to change because you always see the same people and it's only last week and you know there's only so much advancement you can make in a week but then being or being seen as a veteran where we've been working in vr since the relaunch as it were with the oculus dk1 there's a small pool of developers who were developing at that point and so keeping up with where they've gone on to uh, uh, whether it's like big big companies who are doing big, exciting, heavily invested things, or whether they've remained indie and sharing all of these just little sort of like hacks and ideas that they're playing around with. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of new people coming on the scene as well, people from other industries, which, you know, you need non-techie people to play with the technology to work out how we can expand it so it helps uh, to become mainstream. A lot of them, uh, you know, they're having to go through the same sort of hard process of learning the ropes and learning what does and doesn't work in VR. Uh, But then there's a lot of 
experiments out there already and not so much a rule book and a lot of the rules were there to be broken you know early you know we can't move people we can't have locomotion but now you know locomotion is generally fine uh, but you just have to develop a, a series of comfort uh, uh, settings to allow people to find their level where, where they're happy with the experience but then online as well i have a good list of people who i follow on twitter for information and um, think pieces and then there's a lot of well, there's fewer than there were, but there's sort of three or four main sort of VR news sites to do with gaming and the technologies. Ben Lang, uh, wrote a VR, has tried pretty much every single device and uh, is very, very thorough in his outlook in terms of how he reviews and approaches technology and takes it with a no sort of no bullshit stance. Um, VR Scout look at very much more experiential and beneficial uh, experiences. Upload cover more sort of the gaming side and hopefully they'll continue in some shape or form vr focus sort of bridges somewhere in between all of those so you brought up the motion have you tried these trackpad treadmills these multi-directional treadmills with vr i've tried a couple i haven't seen many great advancements there's WizDish and omni treadmill there's a few devices where you're kind of like hanging from a harness suspended over the trackpad the one that they used in ready player one you know that's an actual device i can't remember what it's called but um that is a device that you can you know buy and use today i don't have the space for it in my in my own place we probably will do on our new vr lab in the new studio when we move in a couple of weeks but i think yeah i don't know uh, uh they, they haven't given me enough of a positive sensation to warrant spending the money to get one uh, I, I don't have a problem with my you know they're looking to fix a problem which is current where we can't move very much with cables and i don't know you know people are lazy people just want to be sat down and uh, they don't want to be running around everywhere all the time and you know can you imagine playing call of duty or something like that for an hour hour and a half having to constantly run across the map we're all gonna be very fit but i think we're probably gonna you know have heart attacks before we get to that point i guess it depends on the ramp up so you mentioned v you mentioned uh bbc what's the relation there and what's the future of news and entertainment well it just seems to be that bbc wherever they have a studio there's a good you know there's always uh, uh, there's been a big sort of tech cluster around the BBC studio. They uh, they commission a lot of external content and they're very responsive to new technologies. So in the UK, they're a good way to get funded uh, development work uh, for, for for narrative storytelling experiences, um, if that's sort of the focus of your studio. And they always look into new ways of bringing the news to people. So they have um, you know, dedicated VR and AR labs now and immersive content studios. Uh, in terms of how they portray the news, they've done a lot of experiments with 360 reports and videos. And uh, I, you know, ultimately these days, it's more about the content of the news rather than how it's being delivered. But um, you know, we have our own situation here in the UK in the form of Brexit, where you know you guys have got Trump, and you know how the current government is supported or portrayed by the by the local news. Uh, you know, we have a much smaller range than than the US. But, you know, the BBC is generally supposed to be non-biased, but there's a lot of um, encouragement of the Brexit process because it's what the government wants. Does that worry you at all? News and news and uh, politics collaborating? Well, news, technology, politics, uh, power, church, etc. You know, uh, all of these things should, should remain siloed and separate. News should always be objective and uh, balanced and non-biased. 
Otherwise, you know, we just get into a 1984 state where uh, we're dealing with departments of change and uh, where nothing changes and, you know, we are just subservient beings. But, you know, the internet allows much more than just the terrestrial channels and terrestrial uh, sources. And, uh, you know, then we just have to get into the realms of what people consider to be truth and, uh, you know, uh, uh, valid data sources, really. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's essentially it's a terrifying time in the fact that people believe absolute nonsense, but it's uh, because of the prevalence of the connected world, people have always believed nonsense, but now you actually meet them and come up against them online and they have a louder voice. Well, it's not just the nonsense, it's also the fact that it can be disproven. If you go back a thousand, two thousand years, people believed nonsense, but the information and the fact that they were full of shit was not available to anyone else. True, but complicated. You know, no matter how many um, reliable, uh, disproving uh, facts and evidence, you know, once a believer, you know, it's hard to it's hard to get them to change their mind because then they have to admit that they were wrong. World looks flat in VR, right? Would you uh, uh, <laughs> Would you rather vi- visit Mars quite literally if you could return, or do a VR trip and make it a little shorter? Well, I've seen I've seen Total Recall. It didn't look great. Uh, but um, we made a VR experience based on Elon Musk's uh, Starman uh, sending the, um, the astronaut costume in the in the Tesla. Uh, I think it's made it to Mars now. But um, yeah, I think um, the thought of space travel has always intrigued me. I don't know if my my rapidly aging body will would stand up to it. But yeah, I'm more than happy to to have space experiences if they are based on scientific evidence and what we know of those places. If I want to play a computer game based on an alien world and it's all make-believe, that's fine. But um, if I'm going to virtual representations of actual planets, I want to go to a realistic representation and know that this is actually how it is based upon uh, satellite and data that, that, that we have. Let's say 30 years from now, a massive percentage of the population has access to VR and all sorts of ubiquitous experiences. What do you say the odds are? Do you think there'll be more people focused on relatively realistic situations? So maybe slight differences in gravity, different places etc or more focused on completely unrealistic situations i imagine it would be completely black mirror style unrealistic situations uh you know the the sci-fi dystopia where anybody can be represented however they want and you know if they're augmenting the real world they're able to block out types of people or you know uh, uh, exes or you know whoever that they don't want to see or be interacting with you know but then there's probably going to be um it'll probably come full circle where people will just be so sick of the virtual that uh, they'll disconnect and uh sounds like know, facebook yeah they'll want to um you know actually experience what's truly real again i think that would be a great a great takeaway for people how do you think about vr and empathy and which industries do you think it'll take off in first outside of military and sports so you know vr is oft called the the empathy machine i, I from the work that we've done and from the experiences we've created and some of the training material we're looking at beyond just using it to train people how to fix stuff uh, there's a lot of interest around so- the soft skills side of things and being able to put uh, put somebody in somebody else's shoes um, but then you know there's a strong argument or at the moment is it empathy or just sympathy you know there's clear distinct barriers that, or, or differences between just feeling sorry for someone by watching a uh, immersive story or actually feeling you know connected to that person so i think you know we're a ways off there are ways it is more immersive it does provide a greater connection to to the story but um uh, i think 
storytellers are still learning how to make best use of the medium uh, to to really give that level of empathy uh, or connection that people feel with a sort of director's window within the uh, sort of more traditional film uh, mediums. Oh, sorry, what was the second part of the question? What industries do you think will take off in primarily first outside of sports and military, obviously? Um, I think a lot of it will be, you know, the, the, the all-encompassing entertainment sphere uh, in terms of, you know, films and media and uh, gaming, uh, experiential stuff that allows you to become, you know, a, a space trooper or go on a, a dinosaur park uh, exploration scenario, allowing people to try something that they couldn't do in the real world. Um, that may even be, you know, a, a rich man simulator with yachts and, you know, uh, filthy money. But um, uh, I, I see the biggest area of being training and simulation and learning development and bettering ourselves. Uh, and I'd like to hope that, you know, that is one of the key areas that people want to pick these devices up to do uh, to enable us to learn faster and become better people. And then through the socially connected uh, experiences, meet and, you know, understand what it means to be human. I would hope so. I'm very skeptical, though, based off of what people watch on Netflix. Yeah. And, you know, based upon general online behavior. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. So um, I like to think that as humans, by default, we are good. And, you know, this is just uh, we're, the stage we're in now is the death of sort of a particular style of thinking where it's all very segregated and uh, mistrustful. Um, and it's the birth of a much more diverse, accepting uh, sort of humankind. Um, but, you know, we're all learning the, learning the ways of how to adopt and how to uh, operate in that world. And, you know, we're making those mistakes and it's, it's teething pains. But uh, I think, you know, give it a couple of decades, we'll, we'll learn how to coexist. Uh, we all, all got to get teeth. Do you have kids? Yeah. Uh, no, I have cats. You have cats? Okay, so they probably haven't tried VR. I was going to see what you thought about that. And VR uh, for kids. Well, <laughs> um, uh, Luca from the uh, Google Daydream um, uh, prototyping team, his business card is actually a little Google Cardboard, uh, and I have tried putting it on my cat. Uh, they seem to be perfectly sized for, for cats. God, that would be terrifying that, to think about what's happening in the in the cat's head. Yeah. So I got, I got two questions for you. Okay. So first question, if you had to leave people with something, a quote, a call to action, it can be anything, what would it be and why? Well, the call to action would be go to your nearest VR arcade and try VR if you haven't. Uh, leave aside your skepticism or dislike of technology and uh, just try a simple experience and understand what the possibilities are. Uh, we always spend less time talking about it and more time just getting headsets on, on, on people. Uh, it's far easier to convey the possibilities. And I would one-up that. I would say spend the extra 10 to 20 bucks it's going to cost for a half an hour and do the one where you can get the gloves in the, in the hands and have a bit more uh, the gloves in the feet so you have a bit more of an experience moving around yeah that immersion that immersion is really what does i was scared i was scared shitless when i was walking and suddenly the floor fell out and i'm terrified of heights it's like oh my god <laughs> it's, it's hard to say how how real it feels and that that's even later generation it's not the new stuff yeah i mean i've seen you know people frozen in spot 
um, absolutely terrified by a simple construction site simulator um, where, you know, all they're doing is standing on the edge of a scaffolding uh, and they just lose all um, uh, memory of the fact that they are in an office space on a perfectly solid floor. You know, it's a very powerful experience, but with great power comes great responsibility of how we treat the uh, the VR user. It does. How do we avoid having VR be a monopoly? Be a monopoly? Well, there's a number of uh, uh, systems and mechanics in place with open VR and uh, uh, you know, forums working together to ensure that you know compatibility and uh, interoperability across platforms exists. I think with any new format, then there's always going to be the race by those who want to seek to control and dominate. But then there's always going to be those who will seek to ensure that it remains open. It didn't take long for Revive to pop up to ensure that Vive users could use gated Oculus content. We just have to pick our battles wisely and ensure that you know whenever we're creating content, we're looking to make it as open and supporting of as many platforms as possible within our budget and timeframes as allowing. Amen. And last one, I have to piggyback off of that a little bit. Who is the leading player in VR 10 years from now? Leading player from now? Um, probably someone we've never heard of. I hope so. Uh, I mean, you know, there's there's some big names that have already thrown their hats in the ring. Some of those big names are continuing to throw more hats in the ring. Some have thrown one in and kind of forgotten about it. But um, I, I think it's probably going to be like a consortium because there's so many so many technologies, you know, we've touched upon already with cloud and 5G and eye tracking and foveated rendering and screen technologies and uh, prescription models, etc. that I think it's going to have to be a consortium device uh, where everybody who excels in their area but is too big to be bought by, by anyone else, uh, they all come together to create you know, the, the ultimate device that you know, will be the one that has to be owned. But uh, I don't think it's going to be Apple or Microsoft or Facebook or Google. Thankfully, Facebook and Google both suck at hardware. Where is the best place for people to find you, Sam? Uh, I'm available on the Twitters uh, at VR underscore Sam. You can follow our studio profile, Make Real VR. Uh, same with the website, makereal.co.uk. And generally, if you search for Sam Watts VR in Google, you'll find an absolute number of articles, podcasts, uh, quotes, interviews, etc. that I have done over the past five years as part of my journey of learning how all this stuff works. It's because he's a VR superstar, a little humble as well. Disruptors.fm, guys. We got the show notes and all the good stuff there. Thanks for coming today, Sam. Thanks for having me. Sweet. Cheers. If you want more of the Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm slash iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.